As protests against police brutality continue across the nation, momentum is building in San Diego. Downtown has seen marches several days in a row. San Diegans asked the city council to slash the policing budget. And even in whiter parts of the county, San Diegans took a knee, chanted, hands up, don't shoot, and I can't breathe. As the nation once again confronts a 400-year-old societal wound, here's where things stand now. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Andrea Lopez Viafania, you're the community's reporter for the Union-Tribune. Let's get people up to speed, recap the protests that have occurred in the last 24 hours. Um, well, we had one yesterday, uh, a big one in Balboa Park. It started in Balboa Park, moved to downtown, and then back to Balboa Park. Um, and then it was kind of weird. We have a, we had a couple other protests in downtown that um, just combined. They were smaller. And then um, so at the end of the day, they all ended up at the county administration building. And um, it was just several smaller protests. But I was following one that started in Balboa Park. Mm-hmm. And you've been covering the protests kind of for the past several days. Have you been noticing, you know, significant changes between the protests we're seeing now versus the ones kind of over the weekend that were a bit more intense? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're all aware, aware of what happened over the weekend, um, specifically in La Mesa. You know, we saw a lot of looting. Of course, we had those two um, banks that were, um, you know, that caught on fire. Um, but over the weekend, I, I started working on this on Sunday and it was late on Sunday. So um, I kind of got the end of the protest, uh, you could say. But, um, you know, there was it was definitely there's definitely some tension. And I think, you know, that protest had gone on. Uh, all day long. So, you know, there were some kind of tensions there. And um, we did have some flashbangs on Sunday from uh, police and also some pepper balls, uh, you know, were shot at some of the protesters. So Sunday was, um, you know, a much more tense environment. But um, Monday and Tuesday have been, you know, were significantly, um, you know, just different environments. On Monday, we had a youth-led protest, and that was kept peaceful, even at moments when, there were some um, arguments between protesters on, you know, whether they should stay longer or maybe just call it a day. Um, you know, it, it remained uh, peaceful the entire time. So we've seen some changes uh, throughout the days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly seems that after Sunday, those de-escalation tactics, the flashbangs, rubber bullets, pepper balls kind of went away, which, you know, is good for the argument of the protesters because this whole thing is about racism and police brutality. Right. And and I think so, too. I mean, yesterday uh, we saw the crowd which was much bigger than what I saw on Monday. And Tuesday's protest, I didn't see, um, you know, police officers were just wearing their regular uniform. They were keeping their distance. Um, you know, they were in constant contact with the organizers. The, I would see a police officer in a motorcycle, you know, drive up to the organizer and ask them questions like which road they were heading down. Um, so it seemed... Like, um, you know, we weren't seeing what we saw the other days where we had lines of police officers, you know, in, in riot gear or I guess, you know, in helmets and with batons. Um, so it was, it, was a different, it was a different feel for sure. I think one thing I noticed yesterday was, um, you know, for some reason, the police department's Twitter account um, didn't really post much about the protest. And the days before, you know, we were getting constant updates, you know, as to what was going on. Um, so I don't know why that was yesterday, but um, I heard several people talking about it. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it does seem kind of like a change in a PR strategy in a way, which, you know, the protest is both physical and also digital nowadays. So it's kind of important to have those two fronts in mind. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So can you describe the coalition of people that are protesting? Because San Diego, of course, is a diverse place. What did you see when you were out there? Uh, definitely a good mix of just different races. Uh, we saw a lot of intersection with um, just different groups. I mean, we we had people chanting, of course, Black Lives Matter, but also uh, we had some LGBTQ members there also chanting, you know, for Black Trans Lives Matter. Um, so different things like that. I mean, the, the groups that I was following specifically on Monday and Tuesday, they were very young. Um, I you know, would go as far as to say maybe like we had some 14 year olds there to maybe it's like people in their early 30s. And then we had, you know, just a couple of older folks. <laughs> um, but but it was a good mix of, you know, different ethnicities in the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, racism and inequity are one of those things that are more or less visible depending on your community, both in real life and online. Imagine someone that literally doesn't know what's going on under the veil of ignorance, if you would. What are San Diego's inequities that you think people should understand when discussing race and fairness in the region? It's so interesting because this was a a topic that a lot of, um, uh, just to give you some background, uh, the protests I went to at the end of the day, they usually ended up somewhere and they would either sit down or, um, you know, just have speakers come up and whoever could come up to speak and share their own experiences. And a lot of people talked about um, you know, living in communities where, you know, if if you call the police, they don't get there as fast as they do in other communities. Um, they have lower, um, higher unemployment rates. Um, they have less opportunities for school, maybe. Um, they also, you know, have less access to parks. Um, maybe they're in neighborhoods that are burdened by um, more pollution. So just different things like that, that all lead to this kind of these inequities that we see in certain communities, um, a lot of those communities located south of the eight. So um, those were some of the things that people were talking about. One person in particular I thought was really interesting. It was a young lady, I didn't catch her name, um, but she was saying that she went to school, she went to university, and she always thought that if she you know, did the right things um, in her life that you know, she would get a good job. But um, she said that she was very hurt by um, an incident that occurred a couple of days ago where a CNN reporter was arrested on live television. And she said that that moment was very striking for her because, you know, here's an educated um, black man um, who is being arrested on, on television. He's a reporter, yet, you know, he's still being arrested. So that, I thought that was interesting from what she said and kind of how related to own, her own personal life. Yes, certainly. The arrest of uh, Omar Jimenez was certainly shocking that he's about our age, actually, and graduated from Northwestern, one of the most premier journalism schools. So it's something that, you know, if he didn't look how he does, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Right, right. Mm -hmm. I think there was something, too, about there being a a reporter who's race, you know, he's white and he was not arrested. He was kind of in the area. So I thought it was interesting, you know, that the the kids were bringing that up. uh, on Monday, I think that was, um, and, you know, we're bringing that up. And a lot of people also talked about just, they don't have as many opportunities to jobs and um, just experiences where they're, you know, stopped by police officers for not really doing anything. Mm-hmm. 
And you mentioned it several times, but it seems that young people, you know, broadly everywhere from teenagers to people who are in you know, their mid-30s, are playing an outsized role in these protests. Why do you think that is? You know, I, I think, and this is interesting, um, I know that uh, we have um, a colleague who's very interested in Gen Z, um, but they they just are very aware, and from everything that they were talking about yesterday and on Monday, um, you know, they know that they are the next generation, and they're the youth, and they are, if they want to see change, it's going to start with them. And they're also, um, you know, they also feel a responsibility to educate maybe their younger siblings. So I think, you know, this generation is um, very aware of the different problems that we have. And um, they're very willing to be vocal about it. And then, of course, social media plays a role in um, how these things spreads. A lot of these um, protests, at least the one yesterday, happened very organically. Just people posting like, hey, we should meet up. And it ended up, you know, started with a few group of people. And then I would say it was easily at least a thousand people by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly one of the very 2020 things of this entire protest is the way that various online groups are kind of helping out in strange ways. Like you had K-pop Twitter mess with the police in Dallas. You had old LARPers telling people how to make shields out of foam and Rubbermaid, things like that. And uh, also, you know, makeup tutorials, people telling you how to get, you know, tear gas and mace out of your face. So it's really something that could never have happened outside of this moment that we have this technology where we can communicate. So you have people with these very strange, you know, skill sets sharing that knowledge. Yeah, it's interesting. I followed a couple of people on social media and and yeah, they were, uh, you know, just doing some live uh, Instagram videos of like what to do, what to wear, um, you know, how to be safe and things like that. So it's interesting that, you know, people are just posting on, on social media. Mm -hmm. So on the other side of this, uh, have you noticed or heard of any movement of people who are opposed to this movement, including right wing groups and possibly some white nationalists? Um, not any groups specifically, I think what was happening, um, at least on, I didn't hear this too much on Sunday, but on Monday and Tuesday, um, you know, the organizers were really, um, they were adamant that the protests be peaceful. And I think that was because of what we saw uh, during the weekend at La Mesa and then also on Sunday. Um, but they themselves in the group were saying, hey, watch out for people trying to infiltrate group and I don't necessarily know if they were referring to you know a, a specific group or maybe just individuals who want to take you know the opportunity and you know maybe throw some things at the police or um, you know cause some trouble but um, they, they didn't make reference to any sort of group but they were definitely aware that you know they should watch out for people in the crowd who um, may be joining for the wrong reasons or maybe joining to make their movement uh, look bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and San Diego as a region does have some history with some uh, white nationalist groups in East County. So it is entirely possible that people who want to cause trouble could use this moment. Right. And and I spoke with a lot of protesters and it was interesting that, um, you know, they, they, they would kind of catch certain people in the crowd. And usually it would be um, individuals who kind of hang in the back and, you know, they're not really chanting. They don't really have any posters with them. Um, so I think, you know, the, the protesters themselves and the organizers are just kind of looking out for those individuals who, um, you know, may be wanting to stir some kind of trouble. Mm -hmm. 
And also on a more kind of national perspective, uh, President Trump's rhetoric and actions are playing an outsized role. We saw what happened in Lafayette Park with uh, the gassing of those protesters so he could take that photo in front of St. John's Cathedral. Do you think some of the things we're hearing out of the White House are having effects here, or do you think we're mostly focused on our local issues? Um, I'd say it's a little bit of both, maybe. I mean, definitely um, everything I heard from protesters was more at a local level. Um, you know, we, we heard people, um, you know, calling for uh, defunding the police, and that was related to the proposed $27 million uh, for the San Diego Police Department's budget. And, you know, I think uh, <laughs> that we had a story about, you know, all these callers that called in and, um, you know, the, the meeting lasted hours. Um, so a lot of the focus was local, but there was mention of um, just national news. And um, there, there was uh, mention of, you know, what are what are we going to do? It's the people who we elect that are going to cause the change that we want to see. So um, there's definitely a lot of encouragement to, you know, be active and to vote. And so I think that they're both playing a role here in San Diego, but definitely mm -hmm. locally, I would say, is what we're seeing more. Mm -hmm. And as we move deeper into the summer of protests, who are some local leaders that you think San Diegans need to know as more light is shined on these communities? You know, this is so interesting. I think uh, we were just having this discussion uh, with the editors and other reporters. It, it unlike, you know, unlike past movements, uh, you know, where, where we turn to bigger organizations or even, you know, church leaders in the past, um, these things are kind of just popping up on social media and um, people are stepping up. I spoke with an organizer from yesterday and he, you know, I, I asked him, are you an organizer? And, and he said, yeah, but you know, I, I didn't really envision myself as an organizer. I just posted this and hoped people would come. And so um, it, it's hard to uh, point to names just yet. I think we're still trying to get a handle on, you know, who, who is, of course we have traditional leaders, um, but but yeah, it's interesting. I started following an Instagram account for some of these peaceful protests. Um, I think there's one happening today in Point Loma. Um, so I've been following SD protests uh, on Twitter and they, they've been sharing other protests. But yeah, it's a, it's a little difficult. And I mean, you know, at least what we're seeing is the leaders are, um, you know, really young. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the digital disruption. We're in this new age, and this is kind of the first time something of this scale, I mean, the closest thing perhaps is maybe the Occupy movement, but even that was before most people had smartphones. So we're in this new digital reality in which things really can bubble up quickly, and the traditional means of communication and power don't necessarily apply. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, how many people um, keep... Uh, you know, organizing protests or if it's going to be like different people every time. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll mm -hmm. see. And finally, are you hearing anything from uh, readers or people on social media kind of asking, you know, questions that drive your reporting? What are you hearing from our audience? Um, I think still as some people were asking, you know, why, why, um, why they were protesting um, and, you know, asking, um, you know, I think people are just more interested in knowing when the next when the next event is. Uh, so I, I had a lot of DMs from people, uh, DMs from people, you know, asking like, uh, you know, could you share when the next uh, protest is going to be? So I, I think there's a lot of people who just want to be very involved, um, and not so much that have spurred my reporting, but 
I mean, I'm, I'm just curious as to, you know, who these young leaders are. I think we have a couple of reporters working on a story about some of these young leaders. So that'll be really interesting to read. Mm-hmm. All right. Andrea Lopez Villafania. Thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, the three other Minneapolis police officers at the scene of George Floyd's death will face charges of aiding and abetting second-degree murder, the Minnesota Attorney General announced Wednesday. State Attorney General Keith Ellison also elevated charges against former officer Derek Chauvin, who was recorded on video kneeling on Floyd's neck as he begged for his life. Arrest warrants were issued for the three other officers. Aiding and abetting second-degree murder is felony under Minnesota state law. San Diego Police Chief David Neslite announced that he supports the charging of all four Minneapolis police involved in the death of George Floyd. Also in La Mesa, the family of a 59-year-old black woman who was shot in the forehead with a beanbag on Saturday is calling for justice. She was broadcasting the protest live on Facebook when it happened. On Tuesday, Leslie Fakron's family said she had come out of a medically induced coma and was intubated, showing signs of recovery during her hospitalization in an ICU. A sheriff's department spokesman said Tuesday that the incident did not involve a sheriff's deputy and directed questions to the La Mesa Police Department, which did not respond to requests for comment. Fakron faces a long recovery from the wound she suffered. She might lose an eye. Her family has not been able to visit her at the hospital because of visitor restrictions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Their only contact has been over FaceTime. Her family has set up a GoFundMe page to raise funds for her medical and attorney expenses. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.